On today's show, Trudeau thinks Canada has too many guns. The Supreme Court thinks mass murderers serve too much time. And we live in a culture in which a man can become a woman. We take a look at the history of transgender ideology. This is Penhold Talk Radio. And we're back. Thank you for joining us again this week. Uh, if you're a regular listener, thank you for returning. And if you are a first-time listener, you stumbled across us, uh, thank you for, for coming along. Uh, unlike your cable and cell phone providers, uh, we provide the same service at the same price for everybody. <laughs> so uh, thank you. Thank you for coming along. Uh, my name is Brian Constantine, and the jokes do not get any better than this. <laughs> my co-host is here, Michael Rowland. Hello, hello. And with that intro, uh, let's get into the local news. And right off the hop, and I know because we took off last week, uh, this is a little bit old news. So I'm sorry, Calgary Flames fans, if I'm ripping off the Band-Aid a little bit. Um, but it was, I think it was last Thursday um, that the Edmonton Oilers defeated the Calgary Flames in game five of their, of their second round playoff. Just got to reopen that wound for That's them. That's right. Um, this, is, this is one benefit of being a Leafs fan. I have no compunction about uh getting after any other team because <laughs> everyone teams up against the, the, the least fan so i have no problem with that just morally. enjoy watching them lose <laughs> yeah um now i bring this up um first to mention yes it was a goal i know you're probably not sure what that means but that's okay nope. the calgary flames fan though and and I'll, I'll go with them that was a goal that wasn't that that was not a distinct kicking motion i'll show you the, the replay <laughs> later on and you can tell me if you see a distinct kicking motion. Because <laughs> um, that seems to conjure up certain images when you think of a distinct kicking motion, correct? Yeah. Like mm -hmm. usually a swing at the, the knee or something like that, right? <laughs> Driving something. Yeah, no, that did not happen. But anyways, so that should have been a good goal. That said, flame, Flames were not going to win that series. <laughs> Oilers were just too good. Or the Flames were just too bad, however you want to look at it. But... So, ripping that bandaid off, I do want to. I brought it up because I want to. I want to um, put Councillor Walsh on on the on the spot here and alert everyone else that uh, he did have a, he did have a bet with with Councillor with Mayor um, Yarjo, and it was this was this was not this was this was instigated by Walsh. So that's what I mean. I don't have any problem. He with went this. in with a lot of confidence and lost the bet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so his, his his agreement, the bet was that now Walsh has to wear an Oilers jersey to a council meeting. So people need to make sure that there's pictures of this. Yes. Because yeah, Walsh will just love sarcasm, having that picture floating around for a while. Yeah. Yeah. If, if, there, if there are no pictures, it doesn't happen. That's 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 the general <laughs> rule. Um, so yeah. So maybe this drives audience to June 13th. This is their next council meeting. So at least this is the first opportunity he has to to uh, make good on, on that, on that bet. So June 13th, that, that might be a big day for, for council <laughs> meeting if you're tuning into it. Uh, all right. So, so we, we've put him on notice. Uh, all right. So, and then around town as well, we got the, the spring clean uh, is wrapping up. This is basically where uh, Penhold gets rid of 25% of its material goods, I believe, something like that. Everybody in town just accumulates <laughs> all their large garbage that you can't stick in the bin for the whole year. And then come the end of May, beginning of June, we all haul it down and dump it in the big, huge sea can bins that they bring out for us. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, where I where I grew up, we we had um, kind of we were out, out. It's called it was Big Lake BC. If you want to look it up, and where we lived there, you you didn't have garbage services because that was ridiculous. We only had a general store, and that was <laughs> to cover yeah. like the general area. Um, because there's no subdivisions, just everyone out in the woods. But anyways, our our dump was consistent so if you want to get rid of your garbage you basically drove to where the the landfill the little mini landfill was which constant which was constituted of uh, a big huge trench that was dug out and then <laughs> yeah. filled in all the time um and i bring that up because it 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 uh it was also known as as the uh, big lakes shopping mall so oh, I, miss, I miss those days. I remember that as a kid too, where you'd go to the landfill, you had to take stuff to the landfill and usually you'd come back with a bunch of things too. Yeah. It's like a free secondhand store. Yeah. I know. Like why is someone throwing that out? That's perfectly good. I needed that. Um, or at least, you know, a pick apart kind of thing. Right. Oh yeah. My dad was into woodworking and the amount of stuff that contractors would just toss in the landfill. Sure. And my dad could basically fill up the back of the vehicle with a bunch of nice scrap wood for building projects there yeah there are some very resourceful people out there um don't don't get caught doing that now they oh, right. they definitely frown upon it you're not supposed to leave the landfill with stuff but anyways that, that's just that's just a little, little bit of nostalgia for me every time i see that pop up every year with yeah. all the appliances and and old barbecues and <laughs> yeah. and bicycles uh, yeah it reminds me of my old of the old old big lake shopping mall uh, but anyways that, that's wrapping up i think uh, if if I'm if I'm on the ball, this should be coming out on uh, on the last day, isn't it? Uh, I think it goes till Monday. Oh, Monday, June June sixth, I guess. I think they go to June sixth. Okay. So, so June sixth, you got the rest of the weekend. All right, so you got the rest, you got the rest of the weekend to get rid of all that stuff in order to make room for the stuff that you'll be throwing out next year. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, and then a couple more things. Um, this is a little bit self serving here because I'm involved in it. Um, but the, the, the Pendle library has, uh, an announcement. In fact, some big news that they're going to be making, uh, uh, on June 8th. And so they, they've, they set, set this up as, as an event. You can come out to the library, uh, and hear what, uh, what our little, little town library, uh, is up to and, and doing and getting recognized for. And we, 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 there's some, there's something that, that, uh, that is worth celebrating for this library. And it, most people here, I imagine, have had some interaction or experience with our, with our library. In especially fact, I know any, it's, I know, I know people even outside of Penhold know about Penhold Library. Oh, especially anybody with kids. Like yeah. the, the library's desire to have programming for the kids as well as the older people, but especially the kids, it draws people in from everywhere. Yeah. I know people that come in from Red Deer because there's just nothing quite like the small town Penhold Library and all the work they yeah. put in. Yeah, um, yeah, and of course, again, our shout out to, to Myra for for all the, the 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 leadership and the the initiative that she pushes in uh, and to getting the, the library uh, into the center of the community as as much as she does. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think this is an event that you might want to check out June 8th at 11 a.m. Um, some, some, some big news going to be happening at the library. And then finally, I, I know there's other events, but I think we'll mention this one. Uh, Ma and Pa's Bakery, they got a show and shine happening on June 1st. And, July 1st. Sorry, July 1st. July <laughs> 1st, Canada Day. Yes. <laughs> Um, yeah, thank you for, for backing me up. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be sending people <laughs> everywhere in the, on the wrong day. Um, yes. 
So July 1st, um, they, they got Show and Shine. I think they got Petting Zoo coming up. They got Bouncy Castles going up. So they've they've gone the they're, full. Yeah, they're really going all out here. Um, I know. I think they've they asked for permission to shut down uh, or close down uh, a good section of Windsor Ave there that goes in front oh, of the yeah. store there for all the vehicles. Um, so yeah, they're going to be running that Friday, July July 1st, from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. So it's going to be a barbecue fundraiser for Bosco, which is uh, kind of an animal service or animal assisted therapy uh, service okay. uh, in Alberta. They provide uh, uh, service animals. Interesting. Yeah. So uh, this is something to put on put on your radar. And then of course July first, also uh, the town is putting on things. I believe most of this is going to be happening at the Lincoln Rec Center. Right. Um, yeah, they usually do it there. Yeah. And so I know for sure the the PYC. So this is the Penhold Youth Club is going to be doing their pancake breakfast to, out there at the Lincoln Street Rec Center. Um, so yeah, lots of stuff uh, going on as usual in this town. Um, <laughs> And all of it, uh, I must say, is is vax pass free and mask free. You don't you don't have to you don't have to show any vaccine requirements. You don't have to mask up. Um, and I, I mentioned that because uh, apparently you still have to in the House of Commons. So that that's my segue. <laughs> so I believe the House of Commons is is pretty much one of the last bastions that's kind of doing this whole vax pass place or thing. And I mentioned that because it was just today, as of the recording, um, that the uh, MP, Conservative MP uh, Kathy Wagenthal was was escorted politely out of out of the House of Commons for not having a, a verified vaccine or not being verified vaccine record. Let's put it that way. Um, and then, uh, so she's 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 so she was escorted, and and I also mentioned this because it was just this last week that the the federal government continued to uh, institute their mask and vaccine requirements for all travel, right? Federally yep. reg- regulated travel. Again, we are like one of the last countries that still has this. Yeah, Australia, which basically went into a penal colony state again. <laughs> yep. uh, they're they're back. Vac- unvaccinated people can travel again. Uh, Italy, one of the hardest hit ones. They're they're all good. They're they're they have no more travel restrictions. Yet in Canada, you still cannot get on a train, a plane, a ferry. Public buses is still applied, don't they? Uh, if, if they're federally regulated, and oh. then yeah, I, I, there's still some municipalities that might require okay. that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, federally, federally regulated travel, all that you still need to show, have some proof of, of vaccine, uh, vaccine in you. Um, you still have to mask up in, in that uh, when you're on the planes or, or boats or trains. Hmm. Um, and, you know, you still have to go through a, get a negative tests when you come and go. Right. Yep. Um, and so going back to Kathy Wagenthal, she's an MP from Saskatchewan. Right. Well, most of the time, if she wants to get, so for the last few months, I forget how long the, the article said, she's been traveling by road, tra- driving from Saskatchewan yeah. to Ottawa to, uh, to get back to her constituency and then back to, to Ottawa. Yeah. Because she can't get on a, a plane in Canada. It's, yeah, that's it's crazy. absurd. It's absurd. Especially when you look at the, the numbers and the hospitalizations and stuff now, it doesn't matter if you're vaccinated or not as far as the risk level, like risk of it, getting it. Yeah. And like, it, or yeah. spreading it, I guess. Yeah. That's, that's the thing. It's, 
you know, even just as last week, Trudeau came out and said, we're still in the pandemic. Well, okay. Even if I agree with you that we're still in a pandemic, which hard to say that we are, um, uh, particularly compared to where we were, the thing is, are, it's not the fact that we're in pandemic or not. It's whether or not your health policy, public health policy is impacting that pandemic at all. Yeah. You just can't say, oh, we got a pandemic. Okay. Let's just automatically flip a switch and you can't fly unless you're vaccinated that's yeah. not how that works you i think especially since we have a, a charter right to free travel within canada that's <laughs> yeah. that's in the constitution you have to show that that uh that there's ground justifiable grounds that that your health policy is still required you just can't show pandemic and, <laughs> yeah. and all of a sudden get like a magic hand wave of whatever <laughs> yeah. health policy you want but anyways we were still in that state um I, I, yeah, I, I have no idea when we are coming out of it, and and yeah, this this is this is why people gotten up in arms even back in back in February. There's no reason why it needs to be in place anymore. Yeah, but it still is. You can you can surmise why our federal government want might want to keep that going. But here in Penhold, attend yeah. attend yes. events. They're not going to ask for it. Nope. <laughs> Anywhere, go enjoy your life. Uh, all right, so we're gonna stick on on the kind of the federal side of things for from for some more can, uh, Canada news. Um, now, no doubt, uh, most of our listeners are, are familiar with uh, the two tragic shootings that have made the news down the states over these last four weeks. The first one mm-hmm. in Buffalo, and the the more recent one at the school in Uvalde, and uh, and of course, each of these these events are, are tragic. And need to be investigated for what can be done to prevent such oh, things from absolutely. happening. There's, there's no no disagreements when it comes yeah. to that. Um, what ends up happening, tra- or I shouldn't say tragically, and what, what ends up happening, unfortunately, is that politicians have this mentality that something must be done and we must do it like now. Yeah, there's such a reactionary effect there mm-hmm. where as soon as an event like that happens politicians want to show that they are caring and going to do something and the more long-term solutions to resolve mental health issues or things like that don't present on the spot yeah it doesn't so, it doesn't get the, the headlines no like so that. that's where they start yelling out things about gun control and all these solutions like that because that's something where you can write a law and immediately start banning things or making more things illegal or more things difficult to do and it's a very instant reactionary response yeah it provides it provides the politicians say see we did something look yeah. look over here um and and yeah that that is what the federal government up here has done in reaction to what the U.S. has done, or Despite happened in the U.S. The fact that our gun laws are dramatically so different. different, so different. Um, yeah, I think the, the National Post pointed out how um, how uh, reactionary uh, Trudeau is to stuff that is happening in the states, like uh, as well. You know, even you know uh, the whole Roe v. Wade happens and he promises yeah. to to uh protect human or uh, uh women's reproductive health rights up here well the roe v wade is not going to change anything up here he, he seems to think of canada as another state I mean, and he's yeah, just the governor right. of canada as a state like <laughs> because yeah he does react to 
events and occurrences in U.S. law as, as if somehow ours is on par and needs the same adjustment. Yeah. It, it doesn't make sense. No, yeah. We are vastly different in, in legislation and cultural perspective on many of these issues. Yeah. Um, but yes, and so on on the heels of um, these these public or you know, publicized shootings, I'll, I'll mention publicized because there are there we uh, throw myself off track here, but there are so many other shootings that go on yeah. that don't get publicized uh, that really highlight a, a, a shift that needs to be more or that, that needs to take more or needs to take place at a foundational level. But anyways, um, so but anyways, the, the politicians must do something, and so up here. Again, reacting to what's going on in the states, as if it's the same thing that could happen up here. Um, the uh, federal politicians uh, and the liberals, in particular, have tabled a new um, new legislation regarding firearms, and it has. I guess there's four main components that have been kind of highlighted out of this. Uh, first, and the main one is a freeze on all handgun purchases, imports, and tra tra transfers. So basically. Uh, He's as as Trudeau puts it. He's he's putting a cap on on ha any handguns up here, yeah. the handgun amount. Um, <laughs> I, I laugh because I'm already thinking, oh shoot, the smuggler and the smugglers are going to go shoot. There's a cap in Canada. We yeah. can't bring any more in. Um, but of course not. Uh, they're going to limit long gun magazines to five rounds. Again, you'll be thankful that so when when someone breaks into your house, they will only have five rounds and no handguns because they always follow these rules. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm building in my, I'm building in my critique as, as I, as, yeah. I, as I go through my summary. I can't help it. Sorry. Um, I don't know if this is part of the bill itself, but they've promised to, to get uh, the buyback of these uh, quote assault or military style assault rifles. Um, uh, they're going to start a, a buyback program for that by the end of the year. Yeah, and that makes no sense. The the way they identify a gun as an assault weapon or a military style weapon, yeah, it it doesn't make sense at all. No, if it looks scary and militaryish, I guess. If it's yeah. black and you use a pistol grip instead of the the butt stock yeah. style grip, it's suddenly military yeah, style. Those are much more dangerous. <laughs> um, and then there's going to be changes to red flag laws. And so these are laws that um, citizens can go to the police and say, this person has uh, uh, a mental health issue, or if someone has a history of domestic abuse, yeah. um, they'll be strengthening some of those. I think there's already a number of red flag laws on the books. Yeah. So this would be, I guess, an increase on that. Uh, and so... Trudeau, in announcing this bill, uh, here's a quote for him. It says that we recognize that the vast majority of gun owners use them safely and in accordance with the law. Um, but other than using firearms for sport shooting and for hunting, there is no reason anyone in Canada should need guns for their everyday lives. So there's a couple of things I want to go through. And the first is, that, as you mentioned, that there's a vast difference between gun ownership and, and acquisition in Canada versus that in the States. <laughs> getting a gun. Well, okay. Once you've got your licenses, getting a gun isn't hard, but getting that license in Canada is an arduous process. You have to go yeah. take a uh, government approved firearm safety course. And then if you want to get a handgun, you have to do additionally the restricted firearm safety course. Once you've done that course, then you can register or you can apply for your license, but that application 
goes to the chief firearms officer in Canada. And there is last, I heard the delay was somewhere in the range of about five to six months before you'll get your license. Wow. They require, I believe two references that they will contact and the whole, yeah, the whole thing start to finish. You're looking at probably about six months to get the license before you can buy the gun. Yeah. And that's that. Now I'm saying that from a perspective of not having the restricted. I don't know if the restricted adds even more to that. No, I, I was, re, I was reading up on some of this and it seems like when you apply for, so you, you go, you go through all the, the, the training, you get your, get, you complete that. You don't, but you don't actually have a license at that point. Is that correct? Once you complete the training, no, you don't you have, have, you, you have then to have to apply for the license. That training basically gives you the ability to apply okay, for the license. Yeah. And when you apply for a license, is there, does the RCMP, do you know, do they, um, do the RCMP check in, you said they check your references, but do they, I'm assuming they also do a background check and do they check into yeah. like any past partners you had? I thought I heard something about that too. Or is that just like, that, that is, would just that come is up a, as a part of the Yes, that is check. a part of the application process. And if you have... If if you have separated from yeah, okay. someone, you they will that, they yeah you have to put that in. Okay, so, that's, so that would be different than your references. So I'm assuming yes. references you put in as the reference you put friendly. in. Yeah, somebody that knows you and is a friend or a colleague. Yeah, but, but on your reference, <laughs> but on your application, you also have to put in past spouses or, or partners yep. that you're separated from. Yep. Yes. The reason is they can contact domestic them. dispute yeah. kind of situations. They will contact them to make sure that you are not an abusive spouse or something to that effect. The, yeah. And that as much as it is an arduous process, that part of it, I don't have a problem with if there's some reason like the red flag laws, if there's some yeah. reason you shouldn't be an armed person with guns, then fine. That there, there are valid reasons out there to refuse to allow somebody to have weapons. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. None of this is to say that, no, this at uh, this point is, is really a critique at the process. It's just to highlight the fact that in the States, you know, you you just go in, they get a background check and, and within and a day or two, you. Yeah, that'll vary a little bit state to state, correct. but for the most part, yeah, many of the States, you don't have to go through training. You don't have to do much of anything other than go in they will do a background check. That's something yeah. that gets mis or <laughs> characterized or reported yeah, misrepresented in the media a lot. They do background checks, yeah. but usually it'll be a matter of a day and you can get your gun. Yeah. And that's without having done any pre-training, any pre-licensing, you can get a gun within a day or two. And some of the, the these differences are based on the fact that that gun ownership is is in the U.S. Constitution where it isn't in Canada. So it's a, it's a right down there and, and, yeah. and merely uh, a very restricted privilege in Canada. Yes. And so, yeah, that's a, that that goes a long ways to understanding the differences, and and that really has been become kind of reflected in the whole culture that they have regarding guns. And so, yeah, it, it's it's vastly different. It's it's not it's nothing close to uh, the simplicity of of getting guns in the U.S. versus up here. Um, so, for them to put in additional laws in reaction to shootings in the United States doesn't make any sense because in Canada for somebody to legally acquire the guns required to do the same thing that was done in the States is an arduous, difficult process that background, the, the background checks, mm -hmm. the, the application process and everything would have probably stopped. Yeah. 
Yeah, um, and I always wonder, you, know, you put in you put in so many restrictions, you're going to force people to look around to get or a way as a look for a way to get around them. Yeah. Um and so they they put in all these laws, but the the thing is, as Trudeau himself acknowledges, most gun owners use their guns quite lawfully. Yeah. Um in fact, the in a CBC article um, it mentions that illegal smuggling over the Canada-U.S. border is the source of untold thousands of firearms floating around the country. The U.S. is the source of anywhere from 70 to 99% of the guns, mostly handguns, used in the commission of crimes here, depending on the municipality where the crimes are committed. Well, yeah, to, to legally acquire a handgun, this is something we I didn't mention, is not only do you need to go through that process of getting the restricted license? You also are required to maintain membership at a range. You can't carry, you can't legally carry that handgun anywhere except your home to the range or to a gunsmith or to the U S border. Yes. There, otherwise you need special permission to take that gun anywhere. So legally handguns are practically useless in Canada. Yeah. There's yeah. virtually nothing you can do with it except go to a range and shoot a target. Yeah, you can't. It's, it's so, you can't go out and shoot a gopher. Like you can't go out and shoot the coyote that's a problem on your farm with a handgun. That's illegal. Uh, yeah, yeah. I kind of, I kind of skipped over that. It's like you, you, you have, you have all these hoops and 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 applications you have to go through just to get the gun. But once you have the gun, there are just as many restrictions on how it's stored and tra and yes. moved around. Um, this is one reason why Trudeau doesn't. He mentions that. Uh, again, to repeat, it says, but uh, other than using firearms for sport shooting and for hunting, there's no reason anyone in Canada should need guns for their everyday lives. In notice, like instantly, anyone who has, like, especially an American, <laughs> they're gonna go uh, self defense. Yeah, in the U.S., the primary use of a handgun or other yeah. guns, but handguns yeah. especially, the primary use is to have in the home for self defense. Yeah, but here, as you said, you. You better be traveling with that gun between your home and the gun range, um, and in very in very other way. And I think in one article I said or read uh, said that uh, um, God help you if you decide to stop at Tim Hortons for lunch <laughs> on the way. Oh yeah, yeah. You can't detour at all. Like if you get stopped by a cop with that gun anywhere other than a pretty near direct path between your home and a gun range, <laughs> you better have a really good explanation because you're going to wind up in some pretty serious trouble yeah um and and it has to be stored in the trunk uh, i think i believe um, it needs to be in a locked case locked case okay um whereas like a rifle it doesn't need in a vehicle it doesn't need to be in a locked case okay. it doesn't need to be locked or um the bolt removed or something like there there's are restrictions there but a handgun is especially bad mm -hmm. to legally transport a handgun it has to be in a case that is locked yep and then when it's at home, it has to be stored separate from the ammunition, unloaded, I believe, correct? Yep. There has to be, either has to be in a safe or does an, or trigger guards or is both an? I think it's both with a handgun. Um, and so you can see why this is not very useful for self-defense, no, right? Self-defense, by the time you get your handgun <laughs> out, unlocked, loaded, you're long since gone. <laughs> that's that's uh, insane. Um, yeah, it, it just seems like a, a fundamental right of being human is to defend yourself uh and, and yet in canada if you need if you need that kind of defense don't worry just call the the, the government sanctioned police force 
and we've seen Alberta has been a prime prime example. I'm sure it's a problem elsewhere, but of the increasing rural crime and the situations where calling the police isn't helpful oh, at of all. Of course not. No, they, they can come after the fact and they can help try to solve what happened. But that doesn't help you when you're in your home and somebody comes and attacks. Yeah. There's been multiple cases of that reported in the last few years where the only option is some form of self-defense, usually with the weapon because the person invading has a weapon. That's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And even just right here by Pendle, it was just last year that someone found someone had broken into their house and, and uh, had to defend himself with a, with a firearm. And it wasn't clear that he was going to get cleared on self-defense. Yeah, fortunately he did, but it's, it's, it's a pretty... It's far from, yeah. far from a, a certainty. In fact, there's another article from CBC on, on self-defense. Um, particularly females using, are, are carrying, quote, weapons. Weapons simply in the form of, say, pepper spray yeah. or, or a knife. That, if, 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 if you're caught, and this is, I think, yeah, this is a quote from the police. It says, if the object that you're carrying is intended to cause harm to another individual and is not used as a typical tool, then you can be caught and charged with carrying a concealed weapon. Like that includes knives. That includes pepper spray. Um, I think, I think one picture they showed someone had like brass knuckles. <laughs> brass knuckles entirely are illegal. Oh yeah, well, like which what is else just to use them for, right? Yeah, but but that's the thing. This is these are these are situations you can't even use them in order to protect yourself. No, and even things as simple as carrying a pocket knife. I often carry a knife as a tool. I you use it all the time. It's handy. Right. But carrying a pocket knife, if you can't ex, you if you can't explain a valid reason for carrying that that is not in any way to harm another person, yeah, it's a concealed weapon. So we now that we leave too much into the hands of the cop to decide, well, I don't believe your reason for carrying that is valid. So it's a weapon. Yeah. You are now charged with carrying a concealed weapon. Yeah. So at worst or at best, you're going to get fined. Yeah. Um, at worst, like there, there's, there's jail time for some of these. Um, and then later in the, that same self-defense article, this is, this is a quote from someone who's actually uh, part of a company that teaches self-defense. Here's a quote. Uh, her name is Laura, Lorna Selig. It says, everything that we need to defend ourselves, we already have in our bodies. We have our minds, we have our voices, and we have our fists and our feet to fight back. I, tell, yeah, tell, yeah. I cannot handle that quote. That, that is incredibly bothersome. Right? You think like a woman walking down the street, a dark street at night, who's five foot two, and a six foot or taller, 200 pound guy decides to attack her. Right. I don't care how well she's trained in self-defense. There is a good chance he's going to crush her. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's, there's, like, that's the odds. You can't say everything we need to defend ourselves. We have no. some people. Yes. A properly trained adult male in martial arts can probably defend himself without a weapon. Yeah. But as long as the other person doesn't have a weapon. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Which is a, another problem with yeah, this, this quote. Is the, is this is the Indiana the, Jones problem. <laughs> you may be able to defend yourself if the other person isn't armed, but the bad guy is not going to follow the law necessarily. And so he's probably going to be armed. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> this is, this is, and Hey, I mentioned this is the Indiana Jones problem. You need to, if you, if you bring a sword to a gunfight, you're going to lose. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and especially with, and this, and this article is in the context of women carrying these weapons 
to prevent sexual assault. Yeah. And yet this article also seems to say, uh, be careful bringing that self-defense stuff with you. You know, yeah. it could, it could lead to legal issues. Are you insane? <laughs> like, yeah. If, if, if you are that, that five foot nothing female and you're walking home after the, the night shift, I, <laughs> I completely endorse your, 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 I think human right to, to carry a weapon that equalizes the force that will come at you. Yeah. And in many cases, that's what a, a firearm does. Yeah. I would go so far as to say pepper spray isn't enough. If Thank you're trying you, to right? say that you shouldn't even legally be able to carry pepper spray. Well, I'd say pepper spray isn't even enough. Yeah. You need to go farther than that. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> There's, there are some issues with, with gun laws and, and just the whole Canadian view of, of firearms, especially in the realm of self-defense. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's incredible. Um, all right. Uh, okay. Quickly. I know we, I got, I got other things. Uh, never, or, or we still got our big story. <laughs> we haven't <laughs> talked to it yet. Um, but I, cause I want to bring this up, this next story because it touches on firearms related things, um, and events. So in 2001, the Harper government, um, uh, put in law that allowed, um, judges the discretion to stack lifetime sentences. So in Canada, a lifetime sentence is, is 25 years before a chance, or before or your possibility of parole. And before 2011, uh, they any any life terms had to be would be served um, concurrently. So you get charged with three lifetime sentences. They're all those 25 years are all just packed on into the same same time frame. you don't serve one then the next then the next Correct. you're serving them together yeah so this 2001 or 2011 law allowed them to be to be served or to be sentenced in a consecutive manner so you, you don't get you don't get to double up on your time you gotta serve the whole whole so, thing so you really commit the crime and it is literally a life sentence yes um and so, as, as as you can imagine, this allowed for sentences that went beyond people's natural life. Yeah. And so, it really became uh, a true lifetime sentence. Well, the lawyers for the Quebec mosque killer from 2017, he went into a uh, uh, Quebec mosque. I forget what city it was in. Um, uh, probably Montreal, but I'm just I'm a little bit of a guess there. Um, and, and ended up killing six and then, I think, you know, wounding another six. And he pled guilty to to the charges and was um, sentenced to forty years in in jail. And so this is the 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 crown wanted six lifetimes consecutive sentences, yeah. so one hundred and fifty years. Yeah. And they only got forty. And so actually, and so as a result, both parties appealed the, the decision. <laughs> yeah, one wanted more, one wanted less. Well, the lawyers for the the murderer challenge the constitutionality of this consecutive lifetime sentences and it went all the way to supreme court and the supreme court has struck down that 2011 bill ruling it as um bringing justice into disrepute and quote they are cruel and unusual by nature referring to these these consecutive lifetime bans um it says they, referring to consecutive sentencing, are intrinsically inca or incompatible with human dignity because of their degrading nature as they deny defenders any moral autonomy 
uh, by depriving them in advance and definitively of any possibility of reintegration into society. I am of the opinion <laughs> that if you commit a crime to that degree, you shouldn't be reintegrated into society. I'm, I'm kind of tired of this idea that we need to rehabilitate all criminals. There's a certain point where it's no, it's not rehabilitation. It's punishment. You need to punish the crime. Yeah. We'll rehabilitate mm -hmm. you after you've done you after you served your punishment. Yeah. And if the crime is bad enough, the punishment doesn't leave room for nope. rehabilitation. You have forfeited that ability. Exactly. That right. Um, yeah. So what this, what this means is that, um, that, uh, anyone or anyone who murders, say one person or a hundred, they, they equally have the opportunity to parole after 25 years. So, <laughs> so you get one murder and then all the rest are just basically bonus. Yeah. Like that's, that's really what this, this law or what this, this yeah. court ruling is saying. Like that's this, uh, just, that's how despicable this is. You might as well go out with a bang because you're going to get the same, the same penalty, the same. Right. Yeah. There, there's no, there's yeah. 25 years before parole. Now they'll, they'll argue like, well, just after, just because you get an opportunity at parole, it doesn't mean you'll, you'll get it. In fact, most don't. I think there's, there's, there's certainly counter examples to that. So yeah. that's, that's certainly not a definitive, um, but far from it, just the justice issue of it, uh, is, is abhorrent enough that, that the courts would see this, see it this way. And they, they also apply this retroactive to 20 to 20 or to 20 so people who are sentenced prior. Yep. Goodness. So for example, um, the person who murdered three, uh, RCMP officers in 2014, uh, he was, he was sentenced to three consecutive life sentences, uh, 75 years. That's now down to 25 before parole. Um, the, the guy who ran over 11 people in Toronto with his van in 2000, actually I didn't have to put a year in there, but that was from five or six years ago now. Um, he's now eligible after 25 years. Oh, oh man. So, so the maximum penalty in Canada for any, like the, the most terrible crime, um, you can imagine will only net you 25 years in prison before you get a chance to get out. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter yet. That's, oh. that's, that's the, 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 that's, that is the, the weight of the hammer of Canadian justice is 25 years before parole. Um, and then they try to reintegrate you into society. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh man. Uh, this, yeah, this, this, um, is, this is really kind of unheard of in common law. Like there are other countries that have, have kind of a little bit similar to this, but not, no, no one struck down this whole consecutive life sentences. Right. Um, in Britain, you can be sentenced this way. Um, there are ways of people kind of getting their sentences commuted and, and that was, that kind of came up in, in the trial or in the kind of the Supreme court case, but it says that wasn't, that wasn't enough. The fact that, that, that all hope was being removed from, from these mass murderers was, was cruel and unjust or cruel and unusual punishment. Uh, cruel and unusual to the person who mass murdered. That's not cruel and unusual. No, I think, I think that's, that's just and fitting. I think, <laughs> yeah. I think those are the adjectives yeah. you're looking for. And yeah, for me, when I heard that, like this, they, they, they ruled these, uh, unconstitutional because it's a violation of human dignity. Uh, for me, it, it just, if I think they got exactly backwards, it downplays the dignity and the humanity and the value of the, of the victims. 
Yeah. And that's, that's the kind of back and forth argument you'd hear back in the days when people were fighting against the death penalty and trying to get it removed. And it was gone from Canada years ago, but yeah. So the United States, Quite a few of the states still had it up until recently. I'm not sure what where it's left. There's yeah, a few there's that still, there's, have there's it. still a number of them. But yeah. that's always been that argument. Well, you just want to murder the person. No, we see the value in the lives he took. Yeah. It's you're placing the value on the wrong life. <laughs> yeah. Or, or yeah, the, when the when the state uh, uh, kills someone, that's not murder. No. When 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 it's done due, through a due process, that's not murder. That's that's called justice. Yeah. And I think, you know, when we talk about justice, I think most people agree that in a proper system, the scales are balanced. The The punishment fits the crime. Yeah. I'm sorry. I The only punishment that balances the scales for me, when when you when you go out and murder a human being, uh, there is nothing more egregious. There is nothing more violative of the individual or society mm-hmm. that you, you have forfeited your, your right to to live in this society and, and this, 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 this 25 years is just, is just a travesty now in the, in the Canadian justice system. Um, yeah, the, the capital punishment in Canada has been, has been abolished in 76. In fact, we haven't executed anyone in Canada since 62. Right. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 I think it is, it's, it's, I know there's no hope of it coming back in Canada anytime soon. But seriously, this is some, when when you see courts do this, it's like, no, then something's wrong with the justice system. We've we've just gone so soft, so yeah. soft on 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 recognizing the significance of what is being done in in so many of these uh, situations. Um. Yeah, uh, and then I guess, and then as a final comment on this, the the court mentioned that, um, and this and to mention this is this was a unanimous decision as well. Um, that the court mentioned that because they're in 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 jail for so long that with no hope of of getting out, that this this somehow denies it says quote def- denies defenders any moral autonomy by depriving them in advance and definitively of any possibility of reintegration into society. Basically, to me, it sounds like um, because you are removing all hope of getting back into uh into society that's that's too much you can't you can't remove the hope of the mass murderer <laughs> okay um <laughs> my and, and to me i'm like okay yeah you can they they forfeited that <laughs> yeah um but also it, it's very to me it's a very secular materialistic kind of hope because you just because you lock someone away for their entire life you can't say all hope is gone. You, or at least you can only say that in a materialistic way, right? Because you know, for for those who believe in in a higher power, who believe that there's God, that that there is redemption offered to to those who who believe, there's there's much greater hope than just simply reintegration into society. Yeah. This seems like just a a shallow view, very materialistic view of hope. Um, in fact, there's there's many. Um, really um, have encouraging cases of people on death row who have become believers and you see an incredible amount of life and hope in them. Death and is yet a, they accept their punishment. The, yeah, that kind of impending death is a pretty sobering thing for a lot of people. 
Yeah. You know that it is coming to an end on a specific date. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That gives you time to mentally prepare and if know that else, like, yeah. this, this is it. I need to figure this out. Yeah. If, if nothing else, it gives you impetus <laughs> to, yeah. to figure out whether or not there is, you better be starting looking for hope other way, other places than simply this world. Yeah. Um, and yeah, maybe, maybe that, 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 that is a moral autonomy that the state can't take away from you. <laughs> yep. Uh, and so, yeah, that's, that's still another place that, that these people can be looking, but yeah, this is, um, just a, I think just a, um, just a terrible miscarriage of, of the political or of, of the justice system, um, for, for what it's worth, um, the conservative candidate, um, um, Pierre Polyev has said he's going to use the not notwithstanding clause on this if he was prime minister ah. and just say, nope, we're not going to go by that. Um, the federal government just said, we'll, we'll, we'll look at it, but they're going to honor it for now. Who knows what this looks like down the road? But at the moment, it just looks like a, a, a just a tossing of the scales of justice. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Those are, those, I think those are two uh, stories that I think worth worth spending some time on. All right, so on to our main story, and this is going to be a main story that probably carries over for a few episodes. The uh, <laughs> no doubt you're aware that June is a very special month of uh, time of the year. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> as 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 you've probably noticed, an explosion of color around. And I'm not talking about springtime or the flowers. Of course, we're talk I'm talking about rainbow flags integrated into every logo, every image you see for the next 30 days. At least 30 days, yeah. So June is, is, is Pride Month and it has been for a number of years now, I think going back at least into the 90s in Canada. Um, but yeah, so you, you see the, the, the Pride flag everywhere. The corporate the corporate logos are, are, are changing everywhere. That's a more recent everywhere. development in the last few years where corporations are adopting this as a marketing tactic. Yeah, no, this is their sincere beliefs. Sure, it is. Yeah, it's not about money. What are you talking about? Um, politicians, of course, are, are posting their obligatory social media mm -hmm. um, um, uh, pronouncements. Um, me being a sports fan, baseball teams everywhere have their pride nights. So that gets oh. advertised um, all the way up and up till that week. Um, strangely, though, some of the uh, some of these rainbow colors are absent absent from the Middle East. I, I don't I don't know why. I'm just yeah, gonna leave that there, but you won't see the nice Nike swoosh in a rainbow color over in the Middle East. No, yeah. When when you look at uh when you look at these corporate logos on, on Twitter, their Middle East uh Twitter handles are, are strangely ordinary. They they don't they don't look as colorful. I don't know, I'm not sure why. But for for our for our uh, purposes, our main story for this month is to focus on the T component of the LGBT um, uh, alphabet. Uh, of course, T being transgender, and this might this might seem like you know, Pendle at least feels small enough that we haven't really had this integrated into our community life yet. Um, and so, you know, we, we, there's, there's no pride parades here yet, but nonetheless, some of these events are, are taking place. So like the, the FC or FCSS is, is going to be celebrating youth pride week, um, coming up next week. Um, so that's going to include, they're going to have a fundraiser for EGAL Canada, which is a very, um, 
powerful LGBT um, group that has a whole bunch of different branches in in, in support for for LGBT um, as well as uh, political lobbying um, and activism in that way. So they're going to be having a fundraiser for that, and then also part of that is that they're going that um, YAC. So this is the Youth Advisory Council um, is going to be. Uh, part of hosting a parent info night on June 8th. And this is put on by the CASASC. And among other things, they're going to be talking uh, about creating safe, sp safe spaces, learning about allyship, gender identity, and pronouns. Um, and on their, on their Facebook page saying this is hosted by uh, the town of Pendled along with FC, uh, FCSS. Um and and along with the they're also going to be this is, is going to be virtual and they're going to also talk about sexual orientation and gender identity it says a definition walkthrough how to be an ally and importance of language and pronouns so it's it's here like this yeah. it's 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 seeping in um this kind of this kind of um thinking and really that's what this is this is this is a worldview class essentially this is this is a way of thinking about reality and and how to how to see the world around you. Um, now, now, how do we get here to this point? Like, think about where we are. Just think about where we were 15 years ago versus where oh. we are now. Yeah, it's it's uh, quite a dramatic shift in kind of the cultural mindset regarding these issues. Yeah. Um, for example, even. The, the the latest U.S. Supreme Court justice, when she was going through her her Senate hearings, she could not answer the question, "What is a woman?" She she quote is not a biologist. So the 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 person on the U.S. Supreme Court now could not answer that question. In another committee hearing, in the, again in the U.S., a, a witness testified that a man can have abortions. Yeah. <laughs> we we live in a society where they try to claim that science is the foundation of all knowledge and then we're just denying science like <laughs> factual science Object, it seems yeah, objective or, or just science objective, yeah you don't have to go too far and you don't have to be a scientist though even no it's just some objective reality things that would seem to be obvious um other so uh, again another pull out of the out of the states and I don't see why this wouldn't translate into Canada as well. Um, they they looked at kind of the self identification of Americans as LGBT by generation. Um, so it, it, it's very revealing. Like there there is something going on sociologically here. Yeah. Um, that we just can't overlook. Like this this is some there's something going on. So people born before 1946, 0.8 of them identify, identified as LGBT. The baby boomer generation, so this is people from 46 to 64, it was 2.6%. Generation X from 1960 to 1980, 4.2% identify as LGBT. Millennials, so these are people born between 81 and 96, we're up to 10.5%. And then finally, Generation Z or Generation Z. <laughs> uh, so these are people born between 1997 and 2003. 20.8% identify as LGBT. 
Yeah, that that's crazy. So yeah, we've gone from even people born from sixty-five to eighty at four point two up to twenty percent in, in this most recent generation. They're yeah. turning eighteen. There, there's something going on. Like this, this you you you, you can't dismiss this. Um, and it, it's something that that re, that just calls out for for explanation. Like, what is what is going on in the changing, or what what's going on in, the, in people's mindsets? Like. There's no way that 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 people born before 46 were just so suppressed in their LGBT that they wouldn't come out and say it. Not to that level. No, like we went from like 28 to 20 percent. Obviously, society was less accepting of that category of the LGBT type people. Yeah. So obviously, you you would see some who would have felt that way and never admitted it. But not to that degree, not going from 0.8% to 20.8%. Yeah. Um, That's a lot more. Yeah. Similarly, we see this similar kind of exponential trend or um, progression just in the in the transgender category. Um, obviously, with smaller numbers, it goes from 0.2 in the trans or traditionalists, even 0.1 in the baby boomer generation, up to 2.1% in Generation Z or Generation mm. Z. Um, so there, there's, there's something going on that we need to pay attention to, um, here in Canada, just to give a little bit of Canadian perspective, uh, genderreport.ca says that based on data from several major gender clinics, we now have, now believe that Canada is witnessing a 10 times increase in children and young people being referred for medical transition in the past 10 years, BC Children's Hospital, Sick Kids Hospital, and CHEO, which is the Children's Hospital of Eastern Ontario, are all reporting a 10 times increase in referrals over the past 10 years. Um, at most, the numbers of the referrals are do or at most the numbers of referrals are doubling every few years, if not faster. Further new uh, further new clinics uh, have been created in this period. The, the exponential growth is unprecedented, and then they also note. Uh, the disproportionate amount of indigenous and 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 uh, young girls that are being re uh, referred to these gender clinics. Mm. So there 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 is a dramatic cultural shift that's going on. Yeah, and and it's affecting more and more the young younger generation. And as you can see, even even younger than this generation Z, we're we're, we're looking at kids from from five to eighteen. There's just a, there's just an exponential increase in this transgender thinking. So what what is what is going on there? Like, how do we get to this place? Um, and here, I just want to run through some very I think interesting background. Like I said, just take your take your own self back 15 years, and and think about how different the world seems back then. Yeah. Uh, to, to what, to the kind of thinking we're doing now. Gay marriage society. was still a controversial thing. You wouldn't see it presented much on TV because that was just a little too edgy. Yeah. There was, it was still kind of a taboo subject and yeah, maybe 15, 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I want to say 2004. Was it about legalization? Started legalized. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think in, in 2002, the, the the House of Commons still voted to ratify or to recognize the traditional marriage. Yeah. So like this is this is this is not ancient history, but the thinking that has brought us here has developed over time. It it, it hasn't just poofed out of exi or into existence. 
And so bear with me. I, I hopefully you find this interesting as much <laughs> as I do. Um, to kind of find this kind of idea where, where this, this idea thread kind of has woven itself through history to find or to, to reach us today. And really it kind of starts back in the industrialization as, as kind of factories were, were being implemented. Um, it, it really supplanted the kind of the, the home cottage in industry in which women played a very central role in. Um, Dorothy Sayers was an English crime novelist, poet, and just to give you a sense of her, her intelligence, she translated Dante. <laughs> um, so yeah, we were thinking like, um, um, the, um, um, paradise, no, not paradise. That's John Milton. Um, Inferno, Dante's Inferno. Dante's yeah. Inferno. Yeah. Purgatory and paradise, I think something like that. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it, that's, it's impressive ability to translate yeah. that. But anyway, so she's writing, she writes this in 1935, 1939. I think it really is a kind of a, uh, an interesting look at how central women were in kind of the, if you will, the economic life of, of, a, of, a, of, not of their home, but even just in, in, in the, the society in which yeah. they were in. She writes, so she writes this in 1939, looking back to kind of how the women's role has changed uh, through industrialization. Uh, quote, it is a formidable list of jobs, the whole of the spinning industry, whole of the spinning industry, the whole of the dyeing industry, the whole of the weaving industry, the whole cater or the whole catering industry and which, and which would not please Lady Astor, perhaps the whole of the nation's brewing and distilling, <laughs> all the preserving, pickling and bottling industry, all the baking, curing. And since in those days, a man was often present from home for months together on war, absent. or sorry, absence yeah. from home uh, for months together on war or business, a very large share of the management of landed estates. Where are the women or women's jobs? Sorry, where here are the women's job and what has become of them? They are being handled by men. It is all very well to say that a woman's place is, is the home. But modern civilization has taken all these pleasant and profitable activities out of the home where women look after them and handed them over to big industry to be directed and organized by men at the head of large, uh, large factories. Even the dairy maid, uh, dairy maid in her simple bonnet has gone to be replaced by a male mechanic in charge of a mechanical milking plant. <laughs> That's an interesting thing to think about. How much like the traditional idea of the woman in the home but the woman in the home was a way different role right? prior to industrialization. Yeah, we, we kind of have that whole leave it to beaver thinking <laughs> of, of, or, you know, when, when we think about kind of the old fashioned view of women, we yeah. go back to the 1950s view. They cooked, they cleaned. Yeah. They always had a smile on their face. That's right. And, and, and yet that, that, that in itself is not really a traditional role per se that yeah that's a pretty short time frame in history that that was the traditional role so to speak and yeah and, and so as as that list i think hopefully clarifies it was uh it wasn't just you know feeding and looking after kids you you had a instrumental role in in kind of the economic life of your family and and the breadwinning yeah of, of what was going on um, I throw this in as well is that even, even when the, in the industrialization took place, of course, with, with the factories, coal was required. And so uh, a whole bunch of coal mines uh, obviously sprung up 
uh, exploded. And women were, were many women got were involved in, in the labor that was required to, to mine coal. But English law quickly adapted it or quickly changed to kind of push women out of it because they, they saw kind of the, the working conditions, the men <laughs> at fault as well, uh, the, 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 the masculine environment, the rough and tumble kind of uh, environments, um, and, the, and, the, and they didn't think that this was really the place for, the, the, for women, let's just yeah. say. Um, the and so the and, and as there's that in fact I was reading one account of a woman she was writing I think in her diary or something like that she 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 was working uh, working while pregnant she gave birth on a Saturday and was back in back in the mine on Friday <laughs> like that 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 was what the laws were trying to address part yeah. of that um, so they they recognized the the that <laughs> the women this might not be the best place for women now you know you can disagree or not. Uh, with with that, but nonetheless, what it did is it pushed women further out of kind of the economic workings of society because now she goes home, but it's not the, the home she left. Yeah, uh, it, it, all that work has now been out, outsourced to these factories, and so it it it, it went towards making or uh, instilling this idea that that the women's place was at home looking after kids, and it really ended up kind of also lending itself to this perceived to, to decreasing women's or uh, decreasing the role that women had in society or the importance they had in society. Um, this was, this was man's work over here. Now we've looked after it. You can go home and look after the kids. And then that, and, and that kind of mentality is kind of what was, was seeped in. And that kind of starts forming what our 1950s view yeah. of, of, of the woman's role is. And so it's kind of in reaction to that we get the first wave feminism, is that they 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 uh, see kind of women being sidelined in society, um, and so they start wanting to fight for equal human rights. So this is we're looking at the time frame of about 1850 to 1920, uh, is kind of the category here, um, uh, the timeline that's kind of given here, and so in many cases when when a woman got married. She she lost kind of her rights as a citizen or um, certain rights to property. Um, obviously, voting was a huge or voting rights was a huge issue during this time. Um, right to self govern, autonomy, everything seemed to go through through the man. Yeah, uh, and then and then and so the woman was kind of in the background, and so a lot of women started pushing back against this. In fact, it goes back even back into the early 1700s with Mary uh, Mary Wollstonecraft. Uh, she was an English writer and, and philosopher, and she uh, she was an advocate for for women's liberty, and she uh, she actually had a, had a, she had a bit of soft spot for kind of the French Revolution at least before it got really bloody. <laughs> um, she I think she liked the the whole equality movement that that was kind of the premise of some of the French Revolution though. Um, it got, yeah, like I said, it got a little extreme. It, it went a little yeah, off the rails. <laughs> yeah, it went, to, yeah, but she, she was, she was at least nuanced and she had nuanced support for that. But she was arguing that these natural rights should be applied equally to women. They, that, that these rights don't have, uh, aren't, aren't sexed. They aren't, they aren't, you know, they aren't quote man's rights. They are man's rights, human rights yeah. now in today's terminology. And many cases, 
why women were saw saw or were believed to be inferior was largely out of lack of education, lack of training, lack of opportunity, much of which would be lost even more as things were ramped up in, in the industrialization. Yeah. Even though Wollstonecraft here is writing in in the late 1700s, so even before the whole industrialization really takes off, she's she's already arguing some of these cases. Um, so yeah, she she writes that quote: "Till women are more rationally educated, the progress in human virtue and improvement in knowledge must uh, re must receive continual checks." So there's humanity itself is going to be constrained, pulled back until human or until everyone, women included, are allowed to participate fully in society. That's that that was her kind of argument that she was making, and so this got carried on. Um, yeah, through and it's okay. Here's a little interesting tidbit Mary Wollstonecraft, she died 11 days after giving birth to her second daughter. Her second daughter was Mary Shelley, ha. the author of Frankenstein. Wow, yeah. So, we, we've talked about Frankenstein before in the movie, yeah, and kind of how it's, it's the interesting takes on, on women's and, and this, this, um, the kind of erasure of women that were kind of what was kind of. In some embedded in some of the ideas of Frankenstein creating life um, absent of, of the of the female, so it's kind of interesting. Yeah, there's there's a little historical <laughs> connection there. But anyways, so so the the first wave feminism wanted wanted women to be treat, treated equal with men, um, and this is this kind of culminates in women getting the the right to vote. Most of these dates are kind of are going to be based on the on kind of the U.S position of things so this ends around 1920 so this this leads into second wave feminism now so this is starts around 1949 to 1980 and the shift here though is it goes from women wanting to be have equal rights with men to women wanting the same roles as men right and that's it's going to be a, a critical distinction because in doing so they're going to see their role as a wife or mother as a, as an oppressive thing as something that 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 doesn't make them equal with with men yeah um so we we're going to start to see this this disassociation between the, the uh, biological sex sex and the social construct of gender and we'll, we'll flush all these terms out as we as we kind of go but i think You'll you'll see this as 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 we read through some of these um, some of the advocates some of these this quote second wave feminism, and one of the main proponents here is Simone Beauvoir. She was a French existentialist uh, philosopher, writer, feminist activist, and one of her and she wrote in 1949 a book called The Second Sex, and where that comes from it comes from this quote here or at least kind of the, the idea of what she means by that. It says, one is not born, but rather becomes a woman. No biological, psychological, or economic fate determines the figure that the human female presents in society. It is a civilization as, as a whole that produces this creature, immediate between male and eunuch, which is described as feminine. So the second sex is, is this kind of second-tier person yeah. um, below male. And notice what she says. The, and so this this what a woman is is not it's not connected to to biology uh or, or psychology there's, there's nothing there's nothing that that biology says this is what you have to be as a woman there's there's no biological connection there psychological economic 
nothing nothing about those things says that you as as a human female have to move in this direction right it's saying all the all, all everything that we consider female this the, or everything we consider feminine so the fact you know that we consider pink and associate that with with females Simone Beauvoir here would say um, or, uh, would say that that is just simply cultural or in society putting that on women right and and so think think about what it, what that's doing it's it's saying that even even your biological as as a woman your biological ability to reproduce should have no impact upon what it means to be a woman it, it's 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 not determinative <laughs> everything is is kind of the society and culture and so any significance that we put on by or put on to reproduction is society's right mindset being placed on there now, so that was in 1949. In 1970, we get a radical, um, radical second wave feminist, um, Shulamith uh, Firestone. She's actually born in born in Ottawa, um, and she's born to Orthodox Jewish parents. In fact, her mother had fled from Germany as a, as a Jew um, prior to um, or during or during World War One or during World War Two to escape the Nazis. Um, she she wrote a book called The Dialectic of Sex, and she uh, in 1970 she dedicated it to Simone Beauvoir, and in it she 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 ref, she really you really see her her influence or her that she's being influenced by this kind of Marxist ideology in which you basically have two classes the oppressor and the oppressed. Now for Marx he put it in economic terms. What she's going to do is she's going to put it in um, in in, uh, in the sexual terms, if you will, right. gender terms. Um, so she, again, this is quoting from her book. It says, "And just as the end goal of socialist revolution was not only the elimination of the economic class privilege, but of the economic class distinction itself, so the end goal of the feminist revolution must be like that of the first feminist movement." Not just the elimination of male privilege, but of sex distinction itself. Genital differences between human beings would no longer matter culturally. So, so, <clears throat> so men and women, get, are, yeah, there's, yeah, your your biology makes no difference. You are really the absolute same in society. Yeah, and any any differences are are simply cultural, and and we we have we're just we're gonna eat, we're gonna create a culture in which men and women are equal. Biology. Be darned. Excuse yeah. my language. <laughs> um, and she goes on later on that quote talking about ways, and this is kind of, in, kind of interesting, She because this is in 1970, but she goes on to kind of talk about ways in which reproduction can be outsourced from the female body. <laughs> so you, you have, you know, artificial wombs or at least maybe a way that, that men could do it. And so you would get rid of this, this oppressing components of, of biology this so this the, thing that separates men and women the most remarkable thing about the woman the woman's body <laughs> yeah, the ability to reproduce to create human life and she just wants to outsource that to <clears throat> lab test tubes and yep. stop having to do that yeah yeah so yeah she she mentions that it's it's through these artificial methods of reproduction, she says, quote, the tyranny of the biological family would be broken. 
And so you see this, you see this in a lot of the, uh, in a lot of these feminists, is that even even the the kind of the hierarchy inside families is an issue. Yeah. So you know the fact that parents rule over their children or that children are taught to obey their their parents, that's an issue. That's creating an inequality. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. So it goes it goes so far, and there's here's another quote from from Beauvoir that that it's not so much that they, they want women to have a choice. That's oftentimes how it's framed. Um, this, this, the, the feminist movement, they just want women to have the choice to be equal with men and do, do everything that men are able yeah. to do. Um, what Beauvoir though was concerned about is that too many women would choose to be mothers or wives. Yeah. They don't want women to choose the role of the, the mother, the stay at home mom, the, the housewife. They don't want that. Yeah. That, that reinforces cultural, uh, inequalities, cultural yeah. oppression. In fact, she, she's quoted as saying, uh, this is Simone Beauvoir again, she's quoted as saying, no woman should be authorized to stay at home to raise her children. Society should be totally different. Women should not have, should not have that choice be precisely because if there is such a choice, too many women will make that one. It is, <laughs> it is a way of forcing women in a certain direction. But why do you think too many women would make that choice? <laughs> Because they've been indoctrinated yeah. with the cultural mindset that this is what women are supposed to do. Like this, this is this is not these are these are not outlier thinkers. This is this is these are people at the heart of the feminist movement. Um, there's other ones called there. Betty Friedan is is another one you can might look into. But the the key here that that what this the, starting with the kind of this feminist movement, the point of doing this to get to the transgender issue. And then make the connection to the transgender issue is the fact that it's in the feminist movement we we started to initially see the separation of biology and gender. Yeah. We started to see that what your biological sex was had no bearing or should have no bearing on what you did as a man or a woman. Yeah. And so we start we start to see that come into play in the feminist movement, and they start to get support from an, another uh, professor who's looking particularly at that issue of gender and biology uh, by the name of, of Dr. John Money. And he was initially born in, in New Zealand, actually, but he ended up serving as the uh, psychiatry professor at John Hopkins University. Uh, I believe it's in Boston uh, during the 50s and 60s. And if you want to know where the terms such as gender identity, gender role, sexual orientation come from, it's All this guy. Him. This guy, he coined it. And even... Even the term gender itself is a term that he uh, is primarily or primarily credited with and using in its particular form now. Before John Money, when you use gender, you usually used it in uh, connection to or refer referring to uh, grammatical terms. So just yeah. like Spanish and French have have gendered uh, terms, um, that's where you would find it. Yeah, it's confusing hearing that now because of the way it's been used in the context of gender versus sex. Now you hear a gendered language and we've, we've got a confusion, yeah, especially in the English language. Now we hear that and it, it's confusing because gender has now come to mean how you identify yep. yourself. Like, yeah, I don't yeah, even know it, how to say no, it. It's it, just, the whole thing is weird. The way, the, the way that that money changed it, he moved it from, from being about just being a grammatical linguistic term 
to be in a term referring to what to it the, the social construct of what it meant to be a man or or woman. Yeah. Um and, and, and so you can see how far that's gone out from there. And much of that change comes from uh his study in during the 1960s. Um, or at least the start got started in the 1960s. It's, it was known at the time as the John Joan experiment. Um, later now, we know the the uh, the two twin boys involved in this study um, were were initially named Bruce and Brian. Now, this this study has has really become infamous for for the the just the despicable nature of it. Um, so Bruce and Brian were 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 born in uh, nineteen sixty six in Winnipeg, and when they were seven years old uh, or eight years or sorry seven months old, um, they there was a, a med- they were having a medical issue that re- that that uh, it was recommended that they go through with with circumcision. So it wasn't a religious thing; it was, it was to solve a medical issue. Um, Bruce um, uh, went through, or so at, at eight months old. His parents brought the twin, the parents brought the twins to to get circumcised, and and unfortunately, during the the circumcision process, um, Bruce's penis was 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 um, burned beyond surgical repair. Ooh. So yeah, it, it, like just just imagine you as a parent having this take place. Like where what do you do next? Like yeah, this is this is this is this is going to mean a radical change in in how this person rose up and yeah. lives. Um, and so, um, so that's what this, obviously after that happened to Bruce, they didn't go through with it with Brian, the <laughs> medical condition cleared. Um, so now, so now they, the, 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 these young twins, the parents are wondering what they do on, on CBC. They saw, uh, uh, CBC had a program during the 1960s known as this hour has seven days, kind of a, kind of a news, uh, Dateline, sixty minutes kind of program, yeah. uh, as far as my understanding goes. And on one of those episodes, they they interviewed John Money, and he was he was considered a pioneer in sexual development uh, and gender identity. And so, uh, Bruce and Brian's parents brought them to to Money. Now, Money was was already convinced that that um, how you perceive yourself, your gender can be completely changed based upon your, 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 um, uh, cultural and, and upraising, um, uh, upbringing, sorry. And this, this like, and then this family comes along with two young twins and provides just the perfect subjects to test out his theory. You have young kids who have the same genetic code who are going to be raised in the same environment and, and so you have the perfect environment to test out your theory of whether or not uh, one becomes a female simply through one's upbringing, one's cultural yeah. identity um, or perception. So he recommends sex, quote, sex reassignment surgery. And so this involved, um, sorry, I, I, but yeah, this is, is it's uncomfortable, but. The, 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 he recommended, and they they went through with it. Uh, the, the testes removed from from Bruce. Um, a primitive female-looking genitalia were were fashioned, um, and they 
changed Bruce's name to Brenda. And later on, they would begin cross-hormone treatment with, with estrogen. And so he, they would come back year after year down the money to see how they are going on. The whole, the, the parents going along with, with the quote, the experts recommendation raised their, their twin boys now, now as a daughter, one son and one daughter. Yeah. Um, now in order to kind of reinforce the, the, the gender, uh, the female gender into Bruce, who's now known as Brenda, who's being called Brenda, money forced the brothers to, to simulate sex acts on each other uh, and inspect each other's genitals uh, starting at the age of six. Uh, as, and he thought this was, you know, the key way or key element to, to, to kind of de their gender development. By the time, however, Bruce, Brenda was 14, he was at the point of suicide. Uh, he was so depressed and it's only at that point did his parents come out and tell him, um, horrible. And so he ended up changing his name to David uh, and then had reconstructive surgery. But of course, there's no, there's no going back. No. Um, <clears throat> now, and so, the, sadly, Brian, um, Brian overdosed in 2002 and then David committed suicide in 2004. And his parents blame, and their parents blame money for, for their, for their upbringing. Like he traumatized these kids oh, in yeah. service to this gender theory that he yeah. had. Now, the whole time, though, he's publishing stories and, and railing on about how successful his experiment has been going on. So this goes on from about 1966 to 1980. Bruce and uh, David and Brian's story doesn't come out until 1997 when they finally have the, the mental fortitude to, to talk about it. It was not until 1997 this comes out. Um, but nonetheless, this experiment becomes well-known and, and becomes the basis for the gender identity thinking that we see now. Which is incredibly disturbing, knowing what the, the result of this theory was. Yeah, the origins, yeah. And then and how far, and yeah. And so he, um, John Money, he, he's, uh, he helps form or create the, the John Hopkins Gender Identity Clinic in 1967. He's a pioneer in sex reassignment surgery. And we see how this is, how the, his thinking in 1960s and, and, and his, 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 this Joan, John Jones experiment, how that has impacted the rest of society going forward now. Um, just an example, we, we see an explosion in these, in these clinics, um, in, in, in 2007, the Boston's, Boston Children's Hospital um, begins its first program to focus on, on transgender issues uh, in children and adolescents. And then 10 years later, there's 45 of them uh, spread out throughout the U.S. Even the, the American uh, Psychiatric Association, this is their definition. And, and this is their definition So you, in, in, of, of sex and gender. And see how this doesn't reflect emerging of kind of what has started as this whole feminist movement and, and, and John Money's view of gender. So the APA, so this is, this is the professionals. This is the association or American uh, Psychiatric Association or Psychology Association. Sex, this is their definition. Sex is assigned at birth. 
uh, refer, uh, refers to one's biological status as either male or female and is associated primarily with physical attributes such as chromosomes, hormones, hormone prevalence, and external and internal anatomy. Gender refers to the socially constructed roles, uh, behaviors, activities, and attributes that a given society considers appropriate for boys and men or girls and women. These influence the way that people act, interact, and feel about themselves. While aspects of biological sex are similar across culture, aspects of gender may differ. So look, there, there's, you read that, there's no connection between your sex and your gender. Sex is, is your biological state, and gender is your socially, is, 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 is a social construct that you've kind of internalized. And now that medical science has reached the point where they feel they can do something about it, they can fix the sex problem. They fix the the biological component, and this is this is this is the swap that is happening now. Is that bio your biological sex is is objective? Like you don't have no one has to tell you in ninety nine point nine nine percent of the cases what your sex is. You don't have to tell someone that. Yeah, that's just objective reality. Yeah. Your gender identity, though, that's completely internal, according to this. Yeah, and completely separate. Then your your biological makeup has no bearing on your gender identity. It's all internalized from, from culture and, and your own sense of self. Mm -hmm. And what we've done now in, in what we're seeing with a treatment is no longer do we care necessarily about your biological sex. What becomes ultimate now is your internalized subjective sense of, of your gender. Yeah. That becomes kind of the, if you will, the objective unchanging fact. And you and fix you the fix other. fix the other thing, the biological. And we, in this, in this kind of mentality is, is what we're seeing in these classes now, like we're like, that's going to be taught virtually uh, in through the penalty YAC about, you know, pronouns. We see this in bathrooms, yeah. um, sports participation, mm -hmm. even in jails. Oh yeah, like, like it's, it's it's it goes extreme. The, our own Schnucks Edge School Division has this in their policy: is that you have to respect the the, the gender identity of someone. Uh, there's even confusion, though. I think in their own policy, uh, this is from their policy: it says uh, transgender individuals normally identify with a gender that is different from the one they are they were assigned at birth. So here, even gender is is assigned, but then the very next line, as I was reading through, it says. They define what transsexual is, a person whose gender identity differs from the sex assigned at birth. So, so the, yeah. there's, there's confusion even in that. And, uh, and it's not surprising. It's, it's, these policies were so rushed on so fast. Like they, they, they germinated for a while, but they just flirt and they just sprung up yeah. full fledged now. Um, that, that school policies, there's, there's so they, they can't even get it straight. They're just trying to follow along with kind of the cultural flow. Um, and then we've talked about this before as well. The, the, the Canadian government itself has got so far that not only does your gender identity kind of trump your objective biological sex when it comes to, to um, how the world should see you, um, it's, uh, it's become harmful now. To, to think that one should recognize their biological sex as having any significance. When, so this is, this is re in reference to the federal, or federal government instituting their conversion therapy band. Yep. 
Uh, in the preamble, it says, whereas conversion therapy causes harm to society because, among other things, it is based on and propagates myths and stereotypes about sexual orientation, gender identity, and gender expression, including the myth that heterosexuality, cisgender, gender identity, and gender expression that conforms to the sex assigned to the person at birth are to be preferred over other sexual orientation, gender identities, and gender expressions. We'll get, we'll get into, we'll get into this. But this kind of thinking here, it, it's, it's wrong to think that your gender identity should have any connection to your biological sex. Yeah. In fact, if anything, your biological sex now needs to be altered to match your gender identity. In fact, that's where the conversion therapy ban, that's the only thing that, that can't, it's the only direction it can go in now. Yeah. Is your biological has to be adapted to your gender. Yeah. If somebody has a, an issue, gender dysphoria, as they used to refer to it, you can help them fix the physical side you can't help them fix the psychological side yeah because there is no problem because with they the don't, physical yeah. or with the psychological side yeah. as according to this thinking so yeah it's a one-way street in a direction that has some pretty dangerous ramifications and, and we'll look at that in in uh, upcoming episodes related to to kind of the social and and medical consequences of this thinking of this this connection yeah um between biology and 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 gender um and just a final quote here, I think that just kind of summarized nicely where we are. It comes from a book called um, When Harry Became Sally by Ryan T. Anderson. Um, he, he writes that feminism originally sought to liberate women from, re from a restrictive understanding of gender and free them to be themselves. But it turned into a movement seeking to make women the same as men. That's, your, that's the distinction between first and second wave yeah. feminism there. Our culture has gone from the error of exaggerated and rigid sex, sex stereotypes to the opposite error of denying that there are any important differences between the sex, sexes. From that error comes the culture of androgyny and gender confusion. The feminist aim of erasing all differences between men and women might seem contrary to the transgender insistence that the inner self of a, of a distinctly male or female gender identity cannot be altered by therapy, though beneath it all, is a delinking of gender from our biological nature, and it's 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 that disconnect that will that that delinking he says that we'll look at um, in 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 our next episode, because right now there's only one direction treatment can go. If yeah. if 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 you bring in your son or daughter, six years old, five years old, ten years old, if you bring them into um, a therapist and you say that this person is having gender issues, gender dysphoria, they're not feeling quite right. This is someone who needs help. And 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 we should have sympathy for them. This is it's not I most of us have no concept of the of this feeling. Yeah. But if you don't feel right in who you are, that's something that needs to be addressed. So so none of this is to say that these people need to be pushed to the sidelines or, or dismissed or don't exist. They need help. They they then and we we should encourage them and be supporting them in, the, in this. The problem is, though, right now there's only one avenue of treatment for them, and it's we'll get to it. Keep pushing them along the path. You just yeah, you keep pushing them along their gender identity, and you bring in the, the biological with them with tragic consequences. I think over time, so that gives you hopefully a little bit of a background to how we got to this point. Why or where did we disconnect gender and identity? How did gender become the kind of trump card, the the, the supremacy or the supreme determiner of 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 who we are with no reference, no 
concern for a biological sex. Um, it's, it's been a long time coming, but it's, it's certainly just crashed on the beach now yeah. of society. And so many people are being swept up in it. And much of it, I think is in, in the, um, the younger generation, mm-hmm. especially when you see this hit in pop culture, maybe we'll look at this a little bit next, next time as well. Pop culture in the last 10, 15 years with, with celebrities going through these, these changes, it, it affects people. <laughs> and now it's, prevalent in the media we're consuming and it it's right there in their face all the time yeah right from a young age yeah yeah this is, this, is, this yeah this is this that's the thing society says this talking about this in, in any kind of negative light is just you, you become a social pariah yeah <laughs> um and yeah and so we yeah we we haven't quite got there we just kind of laid the background <laughs> uh background history for this uh but in the going going forward yeah we'll talk about things that that probably don't get brought to public light enough. Yeah. Um, when people are going through this, uh, but yes, uh, thank you, thank you for for putting up with this. Um, I know we've gone long. The the, the quick and dirty of it, just to completely swap uh, subjects <laughs> now. Go see Top Gun Maverick. It is <laughs> is worth it? It has really clunky dialogue to get starting get started, but the 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 dog fights, the aerial footage, the sound design, go see it in theaters. You have to see it on the big screen. It is, <laughs> it is, it is uh, truly uh, just a cinematic, um, achieve, a truly a, a noteworthy cinematic achievement in, in what they were able to capture on film and make you put you right in the cockpit of, of these, of these <laughs> amazing pilots and then and actors as they're going through it. Like, their faces are being pulled off their <laughs> off their bodies through real G forces. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. Tom Hanks, or sorry, Tom Hanks. Tom Cruise um, does not always look so great when he's pulling, you know, eight Gs. So yeah. Um, so yeah, I definitely recommend it. But so yeah, thank you for sir, for sticking along and hanging along with us uh, throughout this. Uh, hopefully, hopefully, this gives you some background to to some of these uh, important issues. As always. Feedback. Love to hear your thoughts on some of these. Uh, whether you knew some of these, this background um, information or not, um, let us know what you're thinking uh, as, you're, as you're going through this. But uh, in the meantime, my name is Brian Constein. And I'm Michael Rowland. And this has been Penhold Talk Radio. Mm-hmm.